episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected is brought to you by Bridgeside Medical Clinic, Chesapeake Integrated Behavioral Healthcare, and Edgar Casey's ARE. Hello and welcome to Calm, Cool, and Connected. I'm your host, Dr. Elizabeth Bedrick. Today, we're going to explore the extremely sensitive and frequently misunderstood topic of domestic abuse. One of the most common questions that domestic abuse survivors come up against is, why did you stay? Why didn't you seek help? However, our guest today, Dr. Michelle Finneran, is going to help us to understand that it's not always that black and white. It's not always so clear. There's a lot of complexities when it comes to to domestic abuse. So that's where Michelle comes in. Hi, Michelle. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Dr. Frederick. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. So let's start today with an understanding of what is domestic abuse. A lot of times the societal misconception of this is that it has to be physical violence or it has to be sexual violence, but there's a lot more complexities to domestic abuse even beyond that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Domestic abuse has different spheres encompassing, obviously, physical abuse, threats, psychological abuse, and emotional and mental abuse, which is considered like name calling, belittling, gaslighting, sleep deprivation, actually. And an overall sense, the perpetrator is making the victim feel like they're, they're crazy through manipulation tactics. There's also financial abuse and control where the perpetrator does not allow or permit the victim to have their own money and monitors financial banking activities and decisions. So there's a whole encompassing spectrum of what domestic abuse entails. Yeah, and it goes, I mean, that that spectrum is really wide and the toll that that takes on individuals. So whether, as you're describing, whether it's the physical abuse, whether it's the financial financial constraints, the gaslighting, you know, I often talk to my clients about that psychological abuse can almost be one of the most damaging because of really the the brainwashing and, and the questioning that abusers start to happen of their own reality. Can you help us to understand like what what are these effects of domestic abuse from a big picture standpoint? Yeah, obviously, you know, like we've talked about prior to one of the things that I think is such an imperative thing to understand when it comes to domestic abuse that many people do not understand as to why the victim stays as long as they do. On average, it takes about nine times for the victim to actually make a clean break from their perpetrator. It's something called traumatic emotional bonding. Um, It's a Stockholm syndrome that I believe really staples the the victim with their perpetrator. It's an emotional kind of dysfunctional bonding where the victim feels they need to protect and help their perpetrator in a way, even though they're they're getting abused. Which is a huge part of that psychological piece of that that trauma bonding is it is seeking comfort almost from that individual who has created the distress. And so that the back and forth of that. Is is that how you would describe it? Yes, yes, it is. Many, many times law enforcement officers get the on these on the domestic violence calls are very dangerous calls because what happens is they go to arrest the perpetrator where the victim has called law enforcement mm-hmm. and they go to arrest the perpetrator and the victim ends up attacking typically the law enforcement officer arresting the perpetrator. It's a very kind of distorted, twisted emotional bonding. That takes yeah. place. 
Yes. Which again, back to your point is really a, a big part of why it makes it so difficult to break free from that relationship. What are some of the supports and services that you have found to be most effective through your research and through the work that you've done that can really mitigate the social costs of domestic abuse? So the, the, what I've researched is there's two, there's two types of supports. There's the formal supports and then they're informal supports. So formal supports, what I examined was law enforcement officers, mental health professionals, clergy, medical staff and nurses and the judicial system. So those are the the formal supports that I investigated. The informal supports are parents, mother and fathers, relatives, family members, co-workers, and supervisors. So those are the kind of both the groups that I would consider formal and informal supports that I in, researched. Okay. And what what are some of your findings demonstrating about the differences in how these each of the formal versus informal are able to step up, support, help mitigate this. What what is your research showing? So one of the things that, that a lot of my survivors, when I interviewed them, said that law enforcement really they feel they need to have more empathy and sensitivity training. That's one big component that needs to, needs to happen for vict for a victim population. Another thing that they found that was helpful is that a male officer and a female officer both go out to the domestic violence call because the fem the victim can really relate to the female officer who is a little bit more nurturing and comforting versus a male officer. One of the things that needs to happen, obviously, that doesn't happen that you think would is absolutely separating the perpetrator from the victim when the law enforcement comes in in order to do their investigation, meaning like out of earshot, out of so they can get a full report of what the victim is going through versus what the perpetrator is going through. And then providing a police report and information on a police report so they can give to the victim and also supports that can take place that are wraparound services police officers can give to the victim that are seeking help for the first time. And when you talk about the, you know, bringing a female officer out with them, so there's both the male and the female, do you know what the statistics are on, on where it's a male versus a female who is the victim in those situations? I, I do not know statistically, but I do know that right now there is a big rise in men becoming victimizations. So there is a rise in that. I ha that That is something that's a very good, another good topic to actually resource in the here and now, but right. it, there is an increase in that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's fascinating what you said about how the they don't always separate them when having those conversations that that would almost seem like common sense. I mean, right. so tragic in and of itself to not provide the safety right. for that individual to speak openly. What have you found to be in your research? What methods have domestic abuse survivors found to be most effective in abolishing these relationships? So when you say it takes multiple attempts, have you found what is usually like the strongest catalyst in order for them to move forward. The first, the first step I would say the uh, the barrier is 
you know, seeking help. That's probably going to be the biggest barrier. And that's the first part of my book is the barriers into seeking help. Okay. Uh, what, what I researched and what I felt that survivors really did is they helped themselves by educating themselves via internet, doing their preliminary research on their own, going to some support groups without really participating, but just listening to see how relatable these, these stories are and how much they could identify that there is indeed a real big problem here. Okay. That's, yeah. that's one thing that they, that's the first step that I felt sure. takes place. Yeah. Okay. And then where does it go from there? So it goes from there is they, they get an understanding of where it is. And usually they're informal supports, like a friend usually will recommend them seeking some sort of professional mental health counseling. Okay. Okay. And so is there something to be said about how that being informed is that mm -hmm. is one of the biggest supports in the moving forward. And then it sounds like, have you found that it is the formal or the informal supports or, or is there research to support which one is more, most effective in order for the survivor to remove themselves from that relationship? It's like a very good question. I, it's, I think it's a combination and a collaboration of everything. Obviously, when uh, a call is made, law enforcement's the first one intact. And then from there, formal supports get utilized, whether it be shelters or mental health providers or whatever the case may be. And then, you know, a lot, it's, it's kind of collaborating with their family and friends. And, and it's such kind of like a collaborative kind of approach. I sure. feel, I don't know which, I don't know which one it, there, there wasn't a really big distinction of which one worked the best or the least. Sure. And to your point, maybe it isn't one or the other. It's, it's likely that collaboration that is most effective. That's Correct. great insight. It sounds like you've done a lot of research on this topic and your book sounds extremely fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit more about your book? Absolutely. So my book is called Surviving Domestic Abuse, Formal and Informal Supports and Services. And what I do is I examine and highlight discussing help-seeking efforts and some of those barriers that come into play, such as protecting the abuser, Stockholm Syndrome, humiliation comes into play, and how social media portrays domestic violence as bloodshed and a higher level of life-threatening situations when it's not always the case. Another interesting find is in the book is how the mother-daughter relationship is often, it's throughout the lifespan where mothers having a detached relationship or even a hands-off relationship with their daughters and dynamics creates long-lasting effects um, for the daughter is unconsciously to seek out a domestic abuse partner. So that dynamic, that mother-daughter dynamic is very, very important and popped out. And when I did the research, another thing is mothers who facilitated emotional support, love and guidance in a non-judgmental way. And from a neutral standpoint versus bashing the perpetrator, they found that that was, it was harder to do that for a lot of mothers that were, had their daughters going through this. Right. Uh, but that, that relationship, that mother-daughter relationship is parallel to the daughter seeking out intimate partner violence relationship. Wow, that's intriguing when we think about often the daddy issue, right? That mm -hmm. being the stereotypical thought process around this and so forth to really there to be so much research to support the mother-daughter relationship. That's a really insightful finding. 
a lot of my survivors, all, all, all the survivors that I researched said that there was a detached and a, an unemotional relationship with their mothers, which is important to understand because the, the, the same sex gender, what the daughters may have witnessed their mothers being victims and not getting out of that, which is called learn helplessness and facilitating love and support and unconditional positive regard from a partner who also has a very detached, maybe narcissistic kind of approach in a partnership. Right. Yeah, that is so interesting. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell our viewers where they can find more information about you? Yes, I can be found on uh, my website, drmichellefitterin.com. And I can also be found through my Facebook page. I can also be found through my Instagram page. And my book is called Surviving Domestic Abuse, Formal and Informal Supports and Services, which can be found on Amazon or Rutledge, Taylor, and Francis Company, which is the publishing company that published the book, the academic book. Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Finner, and I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. And thank you all for tuning into this episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected. Please make sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram, and also make sure to rate and subscribe to our podcast so that others can discover our content as well. Thank you again so much for joining us.